Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. I, uh, I order every Christmas season my children, I order them a book. It's become kind of my gift. To each of the three girls, and I'll write a little something, something on the inside flap of the book. And for the two younger ones, I got them the same book this year. Uh, our friend Michael Yam, formerly the Pac-12 Network, now with the NFL Network, uh, has written a book. It's called Fried Rice and Marinara. I love that he's mixing his culture and the foods he grew up eating. Mike Yam, NFL Network, joining us now. We'll get to the book, but I want to ask you, lining up offsides, Patrick Mahomes, what was the reaction in your world as you uh, sort of digested that in the last 24 hours? All right, so, John, first of all, I appreciate you having me on, and it's great to hear your voice and really appreciate the support on the book. Are we not all watching that game, watching the replays, thinking, hey, tough, This is it's clear, He's, he's lined up offsides. I get it. Three, four, five years ago, not a common call. It's been something that's been called this season and last year. We saw more of these situations. I, I know it's a buzzkill, and you don't want to lose a game that way. It's not just the one play, though, that Kansas City is is on the losing side of that particular matchup. Now, it's, it's a huge moment in the game, but, you know, for all the – the vilifying that people do in terms of officiating, I think they got it right. I think they did too. And if they're going to enforce it, you got to enforce it. I put it on the receiver as well. You've got to check with the linesman to make sure that you're on side. I mean, that's, that's no part of what that it's a simple thing. Just look over and, and you know, it. Uh, mental error, if anything, um, do you think Mahomes is reading the room? Yeah. Like he, He's loved, and he hasn't had a stretch of his career where he's struggled like this. Do you think part of it is the frustration that the Chiefs are having this season? I think there's no question. It's the majority of the tenacity and disappointment that you hear in his voice. Uh, It's because of the win-loss record. I mean, this is not the same Chiefs fan, John, that we've seen uh, over the last few years or so. And more specifically, it's just a different offense. They're not performing at the same level. You know, the proof is really just in the stats. I mean, they're scoring in the low 20s. The explosive plays aren't there. Heading into this past weekend, the numbers eerily similar for Patrick Mahomes as they are Jordan Love. The reason why the Chiefs have had success this year has more to do with their defense and less to do with their offense. And I don't think that's a Patrick Mahomes issue. I think that's really a a playmaker situation. You know, had it not been for, you know, an MVS catch, uh, you know, maybe we're we're talking about a different result. You can't always rely on Travis Kelsey. Rasheed Rice has had some really good moments this season. He's come on stronger. Kelsey, you know, I, I sort of name checked him. Travis hasn't even looked like the Travis Kelsey that I've seen the last couple seasons. I, I, I think there's something missing. I, I don't I don't know how to put my finger on it or exactly what it is, but you know, from a I don't know if it's just having too much pressure on him, knowing that the defensive game plan really centers around him as one of the the only real pass catcher that that team actually has. But I, I think last night the frustration just got to Mahomes. Right now we're watching Kansas City 
with some trials and tribulations. They have five losses. Looking over at Philadelphia, they lose to the Niners. They lose to the Cowboys in not close fashion. What is going on in the league? Is this just the NFL being the NFL, or is there a changing of the power? I think it's it's probably more to do with the NFL and the parity that we have in this league. You know, there's a reason why there there's something special about dynasties in sports. You can you can name check a bunch of them over the years that we've seen, and it's not just the NFL, just in general. It's really hard to achieve high level success year in and year out. And I do give the Chiefs credit for performing at that level. And by the way, who knows? Maybe there's something magical in Andy Reid's. Uh, you know, mind that really changes the fortunes of this team on the offensive side. But I think they are kind of who we thought they are or, or were heading, you know, at this point, heading into week 14 of the season and now week 15 coming up. I, I think San Francisco is still the best team. And I think last year they sort of showed had it not been for Brock Purdy injury in that NFC championship game. I don't know if the Chiefs win that Super Bowl. I mean, I don't, you know, I'm not exactly sure. I mean, maybe they don't beat the Eagles, right, in that game. I just would have liked to see them at their best. Philly, once again, I, I look at that team and the roster, and I give Roseman, uh, their general manager, a lot of credit for always being willing to tinker and make make some adjustments. But that front line looks a whole lot different defensively this season than it did last year, and it's good. It just last year it was historically great. I just think with turnover in the league at different spots, sometimes you're going to get these ebbs and flows. And you know, there's other teams that are you know, up and coming, right? Like if, if Tua doesn't have the amount of issues that he has health-wise last year, we were really surprised about the success that they're having this season. You know, the Ravens, I, I still think the two best teams in the NFL right now are San Francisco and Baltimore. They're the two most complete teams that can beat you in terms of offense and defense and special teams. So I like those squads in particular. They were my Super Bowl prediction before the year started. It's looking mm-hmm. good, so I'll, I'll stick with it. But, you know, I, I just think when you see these rosters get tinkered, I think most of the NFL figured out, hey, how do we build a team to beat Kansas City? That's been the objective the last couple seasons, and I don't know if Kansas City has done everything that they needed to do to stay as one of the premier teams. Like They they didn't adjust. I think there was so much reliance on the draft and more specifically what we were going to get in those wide receivers, and it hasn't paid off. Mike Yam, NFL Network with us, host of NFL Total Access, Author Mike Yam, Fried Rice and Marinara is the book. It's written by Mike Yam. I bought a couple of copies online, giving them to my two youngest daughters, who, Mike, we say they're Chitalian, they're Chinese-Italian. This book speaks the, it speaks their love language. Why'd you write the book? For a lot of reasons, John. Um, you know, I think when I was a kid, I, I can I can tell you the books that my mom used to read to me, and none of them featured a character that was Asian. None of them featured a mixed race family, and, and I'm Chinese and Italian myself, so I certainly understand maybe the food combinations that are happening in your household. But um, you know, just the fact that from a diversity standpoint, there's been some strides, but still really, really short, a lot of shortcomings in the publishing world in terms of, of catching up to what I would classify as the real world. And you're more likely to read a book with, you know, featuring a white character or an inanimate object than you are to get a diverse character. And to me, that's a problem. And even more macro, you know, 2020, there was an uptick in hate crimes against the Asian American community. And I was very disappointed and disheartened by some of the, the storytelling around those events. And, and the reality is, I just don't think there were enough storytellers. And I think about my own career, I 
didn't I didn't know that this was a job, John. Like I didn't know you could be a sportscaster despite the fact that I played all the sports and I watched all the games. Never clicked in my head. So I, I can't help but think if I knew storytelling, being a broadcaster, creative mediums was a real option for me. Maybe it would have shaped my thinking a little bit earlier than than college, which is when I realized, hey, like maybe I can do this. Mike, the illustrations look amazing. I went on to Barnes and Noble and bought a couple of copies of the book. Is that is that the best place to get them, or where where can people pick up the book? Yeah, any anywhere. Uh, so Amazon or Barnes and Noble are, are probably the two best places right now online to go and and get the book. I'm sort of a one man band. And by the way, because because I know where you're located, Vooks was the publisher for this, and they're a company that's based in Portland. Um, I actually got connected with those guys through a mutual friend of ours, and Lamar Hurd, who's obviously the Blazers analyst. Um, he went to Oregon State with the CEO of the company, so that's how we got connected. But they do a remarkable job animating stories with read-along text and and that narration so it really helps fast track that reading but that's how all of this you know you mentioned you know sort of that introduction there with with the connections to the Pac-12 but that's how a lot of this stuff came about so um, just another Portland company that uh, that is doing really well but Amazon and Barnes and Noble uh, com to answer your question uh, look uh, it's interesting to me the process of this how did you pick an illustrator how did that all come together yeah, a lot of it was because of that team at Vooks. Like they are experts when it comes to illustrations and and animation more specifically. And and one of the things that they had done was reach out to their community and said, hey, like anyone who you know would be interested in doing the illustrations for this story, you know, submit some proposals and. I remember thinking to myself, boy, I would love someone who's diverse doing the illustrations for this. But I, I didn't want to know kind of, you know, who was who. I just wanted to see what the illustrations were. And the books team said, hey, well, I, we think we got someone. I said, can you just send all of the, the samples that you got? And we all netted out because Laura's work was was tremendous. And she's worked for like on Apple Plus for Wolf Walkers and all these great, you know, high end projects. So I, I, you know, at one point, I think she got mad at me because I kept saying, boy, you're you're making this thing kind of credible here because I was a first time author. I hadn't done this before. And, uh, you know, her ability to have some of these pictures come to life. They're all based off of my actual family members. Awesome. Um, all those illustrations that are in there, even the house is like my old childhood house. It was it was really cool. Fried Rice and Marinara is the name of the book. It's written by Mike Yam. Be a great holiday gift. I picked up two copies. Mike, uh, I want to see this on the New York Times bestseller list. <laughs> Let's roll. I'm going to need a couple of your <laughs> listeners then to help Let's me do out it. on that one. <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, I'll tweet a link to it as well, but check it out. Mike, thanks for joining us always on short notice, of course. No, you're the best, man. I appreciate the invite. And by the way, thanks for keeping me up on what's been happening in this league for a really long period of time. I feel like I get most of my information on, on the Pac-12 conference from you, so keep it up. Appreciate you. Mike Yam, there he is. Books called Fried Rice and Marinara. Coming up, Pat Casey, former Oregon State baseball coach. He's going into the College Baseball Hall of Fame. I want to talk to Casey about his career, what he makes of collegiate athletics what he's learned in the last few years and what are his plans in this retirement of his that's one of our uh, christmas holiday traditions i will buy the uh, kids a book and damn it make them read christmas eve no uh buy them a book every year that kind of gets maybe some stage that they're going through and mike yam's book Fried rice and marinara really uh, seem to hit the spot.
We'll talk about that more with Anna when she joins the show coming up later this hour. Five at five, still ahead. Got some punch it audio still ahead. We're also going to visit with Pat Casey, legendary baseball coach. I think Pat Casey is the greatest success story in the history of Oregon sports. Period. End stop. Not a better story of success in our state than this guy. We've brought him on the show. We've talked about him growing up in the state, irrigating farmland, moving those uh, irrigation pipes. We've talked about his connection with the University of Portland. We've talked about George Fox. We've certainly talked about how he built Oregon State baseball into a national power. He's going into the College Baseball Hall of Fame. It was announced late last week. I sent him a text on Friday. I said, we've got to get you on. Pat Casey, three-time national champion, five-time national coach of the year, joining us now. How are you? Hey, man, I'm good. How are you? I'm well. I think you're the greatest sports success story in the state. Well, uh, I'll tell you what, there'll be a lot of debate about that. There's been some great uh, stories in this state. Um, I've been around to follow a lot of them and uh, just feel fortunate that I'm I'm someone that got to um, uh, experience uh, being in, in, in the state that he grew up in and, and, and mm. follow his, his dream and, and, and then eventually get into coaching and uh, it would just be part of the history of Oregon sports, so it's. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's. I think it's a great story, and you know, you obviously had chances and opportunities to leave. Other people tried to hire you away. W- was it the connection with the state that kept you here, or was it just kind of different circumstances each time? Well, it it, it, it always was. Uh, you know, my family first. You know, the states. Uh, changed quite a bit over the last uh, 15 years, you know, from when I was growing up. And uh, so, uh, you know, I'm not sure it was the state that kept me here as much as it was the family, the players, you know, as I just had some weird things happen to me. You know, I got on that plane the first time I I went to really look at a job I thought I would take at Notre Dame and I'm flying into Chicago, you know, um, incognito, you know, stealth. And I, guy walks on the plane and his bags are bigger than him and it was kevin gunderson and i said oh my gosh look at susan who's behind his gundy you know so <laughs> you know i just i think it was the players just the uh just my feeling about how you know uh my family and their you know their situation their comfort their familiarity you know my wife wanted it. she would have been fine doing anything she would have supported it but you know i i don't know just just a whole bunch of things but i I feel very fortunate that I was given the opportunity uh, to coach and, and, and given that, you know, early on when we could have been a lot better, uh, you know, they could have, could have went another direction. So I, I'm, I really, I'm very humbled by that opportunity. Give me an idea because often we'll. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Hey, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but. If you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.